Hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another episode of Watching the Watchers Live. My name is Robert Gruler. I am a criminal defense attorney here at the R&R Law Group. We're located in Scottsdale, Arizona. Today, we're talking about the McMichaels and Rodney. He got convicted of felony murder along with the other McMichaels. It was a very interesting verdict because malice murder was something that Travis Mike McMichaels also got convicted of. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to go through the verdict. We have a breakdown of the, the reading of the verdict from the judge in the courtroom. And it was an interesting reading because somebody hooped, hooped and hollered out there was very excited about the verdict. And so he got escorted right out of the courtroom. And so we'll take a look at what happened there. And then we have to ask ourselves, what happened? You know, Why malice murder? Why did the jurors think that Travis sort of woke up and wanted intentionally to kill Arbery that day sort of had this malice aforethought concept. So we'll take a look at the statutes out of Georgia and we'll take a look at some of Travis McMichael's testimony in case you missed it. I know that we did. We spent a lot of time on this channel talking Rittenhouse and so we sort of missed a lot of that testimony, but we'll cover a little bit about that today. Before we change gears, then we talk about Daryl Brooks, 39 year old man allegedly, pretty obvious, I think at this point, drove his Ford SUV through a crowd in Wisconsin. We've got to talk a lot about this. It was out of Waukesha. There was a Christmas parade. You've seen this all in the news, of course. He drove his SUV through a crowd of people who were in the parade, killing five, now six people. And so the criminal complaint, the uh, probable cause statement, the indictment that was, I don't think it was an indictment. It was just a criminal complaint that was filed in the court is now publicly available. So we're going to go through that. We can see all the different five intentional homicide counts. Then we can take a look at what this judge did, and I'm not even sure he was a judge. I think he's actually a commissioner, but he basically let this guy go on a $5 million bond, which is catching a lot of people by surprise, given the fact that he just murdered five people intentionally by driving his car down the road. So we're going to break that down. We're going to take a look at a little bit more about Mr. Brooks's social media posts, somebody who's got a very extensive criminal record. The prosecutor was reading through the list of the, the history here, and she just kept going. It was like 10 minutes of uh, Georgia and Virginia and Nevada, and he's been all over the country committing crimes all over the place. So we'll take a look at that. <clears throat> and then a little bit of reaction to the Waukesha ordeal, the, uh, uh, massacre, I think is the appropriate word to use, but some people are still calling it an accident or an incident or a tragedy. And we're going to take a look at what the media had to say about this because a lot of them are not even talking about it, which is very interesting. So we'll cover that. And then we'll take a look at what the Milwaukee district attorney's office is admitting that, uh, apparently they kind of screwed up with this guy. He should have never been released. And uh, they're kind of doing a, whoops, we're going to look into this a little bit further. Why was he released? Somebody with so much criminal history. So we've got a lot to get into. If you want to be a part of the show, the place to do that, of course, is over at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. And there's a form over there. It looks just like this. And if you submit a question, we'll do our very best to get through those as we go through the show today. Now, two topics, Arbery and Brooks. So if you can't keep your questions in order and we'll do our best to, to get through them as we uh, go along through the program today. Also, clips are available. Robert Gruller ESQ clips, a different channel that we have where we take this show, which is going to be long. It's you know well over an hour and a half and we cut it up into the different segments. So if there was something that you uh, listened to that you want to share or send to a friend or a family member, we certainly appreciate it. Your share 
is critical to the growth of this channel. And I mean that, I'm not joking. All right, so I appreciate your help there. Let's get into the news of the day. The Arbery McMichaels case has now come to a close. We have verdicts in, and all three men, we've got McMichael, Travis, McMichael, Gregory, the father, and William, Roddy, Bryan, all guilty of felony murder. We have the full spread of the charges and the verdicts. Here, you can see that as to count one, Travis McMichael is found guilty of malice murder, which was a big sort of surprise. We had been talking a lot about this, and we didn't know if there was enough there to show that this actually was malice murder. In other words, that Travis McMichael woke up and had this malice of forethought, this sort of this darkness of the mind that he wanted to go and actually murder somebody that day. And so, boom, man, he got found guilty of that. That is a big one. That is the one that somebody hooped and hollered about when this was read in court. And so you can see that Greg McMichael and William Bryan Roddy, those guys were found not guilty on that one. But they were, however, found guilty lower down as to count three. So felony murder, there was an aggravated assault felony murder saying that if you're going to be committing an act, remember how felony murder works. If you're committing a felony, against somebody, let's say it's a bank robbery, and you go in there, you don't want to kill anybody, but somebody dies in the commission of that. You have uh, every intention of just getting the money and running out the front door, but a bank teller jumps in front of you and you have no choice but to shoot them. You do. And so guess what? Uh, Well, let's say you don't shoot them. One of your compadres does. You didn't shoot that person. You just wanted to rob the bank, but because you were committing a felony, which is a bank robbery, and somebody died during the commission of the felony, even though you didn't do it, you can be implicated for felony murder. That's what's happening here. So on this one, I don't know specifically what count three was for. Remember, there were multiple different vehicles that they were talking about. And at one point, William Roddy Bryan was sort of uh, involved with stopping Arbery from running around uh, the neighborhood. So sort of boxed him in with his vehicle, I think was the allegation there. All three guys guilty of false imprisonment, all three guilty of felony murder, a criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. So sort of the, the uh, lower charge there. And then we see that we split that down. There's another felony murder charge, aggravated assault that we split Greg McMichael guilty, William Roddy, Brian, not guilty. And that might just be because it's the other vehicle. And I'm not, again, I'm not real sure. Remember that we spent most of our time on Rittenhouse here. And so I think the counts were just between the two different vehicles and the two different sort of, uh, points in the timeline, one where Travis McMichael was chasing Arbery and the other where William Roddy Bryan was doing that. Okay, so this is what the three gentlemen look like in court today. Obviously, very bad day for them and their families. Here's what it sounded like when the big verdict was being read. So uh, again, this is about a two minute clip. We'll listen to the whole thing. As we're going through this, you're going to hear some outbursts, some commotion in the courtroom. And it's not a good, uh, a good outcome for Travis here. He's basically, you know, found guilty of everything, every single charge. I believe it was every single charge. Yeah. Guilty, 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 guilty across the board. So a, a total, total loss. And it includes the big one that he actually had malice aforethought. We're going to break down that statute here in a quick second, but let's listen to what happened here in court. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. I'm going to ask that whoever just made an outburst be removed from the court, please. Thank you. 
As this court has indicated, I ask that there be no outbursts in the court, and I expect as much from the gallery. Please respect the court's um, desire for this as we move forward. If you feel like you need to make a comment or otherwise demonstrate with respect to the verdict, I do ask that you step out of the courtroom now. Count two, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count three, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count four, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count five, felony murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count six, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count seven, aggravated assault. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count eight, false imprisonment. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Count nine, criminal attempt to commit a felony. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Dated this 24th day of November, 2021, signed by the foreperson. All right, so kind of a surprise to a lot of people. If you missed it earlier, I hopped on Viva's channel and we were talking uh very briefly, because uh, he was wrapping up a stream, and I sort of skid in there at the last minute, and uh, he indulged a conversation for you know, about 20 minutes, but we did talk about this, and we were sort of uh, all speculating that the malice murder thing was not going to be something that we saw for anybody, but it turns out that we saw it for Travis McMichael. And so we'll speculate, we'll break that down, why might that be? He did testify there are some differences between Travis and some of the other people, there are differences between some other self-defense cases and other cases where people have been charged with murder. And let's see if we can uh, dive into it. Now, what was happening outside the courtroom looked like this, and there was a lot of commotion. So when we were covering the Rittenhouse case, you remember that I was sort of making fun of the uh, the exterior of the courthouse. There was like 25, 35 people out there, and half of them had cameras and tripods, so you thought that they were with the media, which they probably were. Uh, and you kind of were... were you know, laughing because there were five or six of them, you know, uh, chanting whatever they were chanting. This looks like it's actually pretty substantive. You know, there's a lot of people out there and uh, there was a lot of commotion that that uh, was allegedly being heard yesterday. They got a uh, maybe earlier in the week. I forget when it was, but the judge was specifically saying that I went into the room where the jurors might be and I heard some of this. And so they were going to move the jurors closer inside, you know, in, in, inside the building so that they couldn't hear some of it. And, you know, now you get a look at this. And so I don't know if this was this was the uh, the scene the entire time, but this is what it sounded like today. All right, Glen County Courthouse, Ahmad Arbery, say his name, Ahmad Arbery, say his name. And so I don't know exactly when that was, if that was before or after the verdict, but I mean, it was, you know, murder charges, all three guys, and they got the, the shooter with malice murder, which is a big, serious charge. I mean, it's actually 
you know, he woke up and intended to murder somebody. Let's take a look at the statute over from Georgia. You can see here, uh, OCGA 16-5-1 felony murder. We also have, uh, this was the charge. Yeah, this was the first charge. So if we back up, you can see uh, count number one, OCGA 16-5-1. And we uh, jump over here to back to the statute. It says a person commits the offense of murder when he unlawfully and with malice aforethought either express or implied causes the death of another human being. Express malice is that deliberate intention unlawfully to take the life of another human being, which is manifested by external circumstances capable of proof. Malice shall be implied where, where no considerable provocation appears and where all the circumstances of the killing show an abandoned and a malignant heart. Whoa, an abandoned and a malignant heart. Person convicted of murder shall be punished by death imprisonment for life without parole or by imprisonment for life. So, uh, you know, very, very uh, serious charge, imprisonment for life, imprisonment for life without parole. But this is what we're talking about, this concept of malice aforethought. It's an old law phrase that comes back from the common law, the idea that you've got a guilty mind in addition to an action. You know, there might be situations where there's a homicide but it's not because you had a guilty, malicious mind. It's out of self-defense. See, for example, Kyle Rittenhouse. In this case, it's a little bit different. Why did the jurors think that? What gave them that indication that Travis woke up and had an abandoned and a malignant heart? I don't know. Let's take a look at his direct exam. He testified in this case. You may have missed it. Here's what he said in court. What did you do? I shot. Why? He he had my gun. He he struck me. It was obvious that he was uh it was obvious that that he was attacking me, that if he would have got the shotgun from me, then it was uh this is a life or death situation. And I'm gonna have to to stop him from doing this, so I shot. Did he stop when you shot? He did not. No, he did, did not. All right, so there's an explanation. And so this is kind of, you know, this is something that happens when a defendant testifies. Jurors get to take a look at their testimony and get to judge their credibility, listen to their words, watch their facial expressions, their mannerism, their tears or not. We saw this with Kyle Rittenhouse. He got up there. We saw a panic attack, PTSD, breakdown. A lot of people out there. Those are fake tears, LeBron James, and many others. Kind of making a mockery of the whole thing. And my point then is my same point now. You may take a look at Kyle Rittenhouse and say genuine as hell. You may take a look and say fake as can be. The downside is that when you put a defendant on the stand, you even have to ask that question. If you don't put them on the stand, that question doesn't even come up. You don't have to say, is it real crying? Is it fake crying? You know, mince the words, judge every single syllable. You don't even get to listen to a person's voice, really. You can put a defendant on the stand. You can put a witness on the stand. And just like that person sounds like a jerk. They might be saying the most beautiful thing in the world. And you go, they just, I don't like their tone. I just don't like how they're comporting themselves. I've told the story about when I walked in into a courtroom and you can, you can, sometimes you can just see people. They just don't like you because you're the defense lawyer. You just show up. 
And they go, oh, there he is. And they're just disgusted because they just don't like you. So, you know, sometimes you have that risk. You put somebody on the stand, the jurors that otherwise have a tabula rasa, a blank slate upon which they can color, they can fill in the, the slate for themselves. If you don't give them a portrait, they give you give them you give the jurors a white piece of paper and you say Travis McMichael is this. It's what I said. It's what I say he is in the opening argument. And you don't put them on the stand. The jurors get to color in the lines themselves. They get to they get to fill it out. But as soon as you put them on the stand, then they get to say don't like the voice, don't like the hair, don't like the mannerisms, don't believe him. And I think he's uh, kind of a, a jerk anyways. Probably a racist. They get to make all those judgments when you put somebody on the stand. And so we just heard him explain what happened. Do you think the jurors bought that? Obviously not. Here's what they, here's another part of his testimony where he's talking about, do you remember what happened when this all got broken down with Arbery? Here's what he testified. When you see you being pushed across, do you remember that? Do you remember where your bodies were moving? I know that I was, I know that he was, I didn't know where I was at. But I knew that he was on me. I knew that I was, I was losing this. I knew that if I was getting tripped, if I would have tripped, or if he would have got a lucky strike on my head, or if I would have have lost that grip on that shotgun, that I've, um, that I would have been shot, or I would have been, I'd have been in serious trouble at that point. I knew that he was, uh, I knew that he was overpowering me, but I didn't know which direction, or. Um, or what mechanics he was doing to, to overpower me. Do you- All right. So that's kind of loose. You know, I know he was overpowering me, but I can't talk about the mechanics. I mean, if you listen to his language there, if you're not watching his body language, if you're not a juror who's, you know, who's just watching and judging everything that he does, if you're actually listening to him, it, it kind of feels like it's kind of sounds like he had a freak out moment. You know, he just said, oh, you know, I, I know I'm getting overpowered. Don't know the mechanics of this thing, but I just can't handle it. And so I just shot. There was other testimony that he just kind of blank, blanked out, blacked out, doesn't remember much of what happened here. Whole thing's kind of a total blur. And then once the third shot goes off, that's when Arbery finally disengages. Here is what Travis McMichael talked about. I was still, I was still fighting. I was still, he was all over me. He was still all over that shotgun um, and he was not relenting. So I had I shot again to stop him. That sec, that third shot, which I thought was second, that, that final shot, he disengaged. And at that point, he let go. He turned and continued to run down um, down Satilla. And at that point, I was in shock. I I, I, I turned around. I don't know where I was going. My dad came out and he was yelling that he's got his hand under him. I turned around, we got over there and uh, pulled his hand out from under him and realized that he was deceased. And I looked up and the police were right there. Um, I stood up, realized that, you know, that I got to go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's bad. It's, Testimony is the police were right there. You know, as soon as I looked up, total blur, you know, three shots. And so a couple things here that I, I think might, might have happened. Why did he specifically get the malice murder? And, uh, you know, jury's going to be looking, I think when they're going to be handing a charge down like that in this case, they want to punish somebody. They're saying you did something really, really wrong. We don't believe you. We think that your testimony was a little bit, you know, lacking in credibility. And why might that be? 
First thought, number one, this is a three versus one situation. Okay, we had Roddy, we had Travis, we had Gregory. And the facts that were presented really make it difficult for anybody to believe that Travis was somebody who was, you know, uh, going to be overpowered. It was three versus one. Dad was back in the car. Roddy was right down the street. And so for him to sort of say that uh, he was in fear for his life, I think is probably something that a lot of jurors are not going to believe. We're also talking about uh, a couple concepts, three shots versus one shot and the use of force of using a gun versus not using a gun, using something less than lethal. So, you know, like I said, having Gregory jump down, they could have, you know, wrestled him or done anything else. In the Rittenhouse case, we heard a lot about Thomas Binger. Why don't you shoot in the air? Why don't you shoot him in the leg? Why don't you do this or that or that? It was a different situation because in that situation, Rittenhouse was the person who was outnumbered. Chased by Rosenbaum, the entire, you know, the entire situation started because he was sort of trapped. He couldn't go anywhere, much like Arbery was. And so jurors take a look at that and they say, you know, three shots um, in close succession in a situation where you already have the upper hand. You, you know, this is not a David versus Goliath situation. You are already in control of the situation, mostly. So you shot him three times, could have done something else. I think the jurors may have seen that. And you know they, they may have punished him and the McMichaels generally for sort of intervening into something that maybe they shouldn't have been intervening in. Talking about whether they actually saw the burglary in, in commission or suspected that this was the burglar. Did they see Arbery burglarizing the property or were they suspecting that he was a burglar? There's you know points of contention about that, but jurors ultimately, I think maybe they bought into the prosecution's argument, you know, that this is America, this is a free place and you're not allowed to go around molesting other people. You should be allowed to, you know, walk down the street without people chasing you and boxing you in. Or maybe they just didn't like Travis McMichael. It's part of the reason why there are big risks when somebody testifies anybody, not just the defendant. You can put any witness on the stand. One of the things you're thinking about, are the jurors going to like this person? Generally speaking, regardless of what they're going to say, you could put them up there and have them read a, a book of nursery rhymes. Is the jury going to like that person, how they carry themselves just sitting there and reading nursery rhymes? If the answer is no, then the testimony that comes out of their mouth, you know, it better be very, very good. Otherwise, you're going to have a big uphill battle. So some thoughts on the Arbery and McMichael case. President Joe Biden came out very excited about it, says Ahmad Arbery's killing witnessed was, was witnessed by the world on video. Devastating reminder of how far we have to go in the fight for racial justice in this country. Arbery should be here today celebrating the holidays, but the verdict ensures, uh, ensures those who committed the crime will be punished. We must recommit ourselves to building a future of unity and shared strength where no one fears violence because of their color of their skin. We're going to continue to do work. Okay. And uh, Supreme Court. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Joe Biden doing his thing. All right. So let's see what you have to say about this over from our friends at watching the watchers.locals.com, which is our home base. It's our community. It's our home away from home. Let's see what we've got over there. What happened? Did my Chrome crash? Good, good Lord. All right, we're back in business. Hold on. I got to, I got to boot this up. Google takes a while to load. Look at this. I know you're waiting. I'm waiting too. I'm not happy about it. There it is. All right. And so we're going to, we're going to queue this up. 
And we're going to scroll backwards just a little bit while this... There it is. Ciro says, apparently in Georgia, counsel stands with their client. Standing with your client, definitely the way to go. I agree with you, C-Rose. And I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, I did. I saw that right next to you. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so we're getting some compare and contrasts on this, which is very, very good. We have uh, Marty Lund says, thanks for joining us, Robert. Don't hang out too long. Get out of the office and start Thanksgiving already. Saw you mentioned the other day about Kyle going to ASU. After seeing the stuff they let those crazies get up to in the multicultural center, I'm not sure the ASU campus would be really safe for him. We've got a pack of absolute unchecked degenerates running amok at ASU. As for McMichaels, if they'd never intercepted Arbery, there's no case here, right? Now, just following recording, reporting, or yelling questions at them isn't provocation or unlawful. Yeah, I, don't th I think you're right. No felony, no felony murder. If Arbery gets mad, he can't make a getaway from a crime and attacks people following and recording him. He'd be an assaulter and shooting him if he took the gun would be self-defense. It's the point where they physically engaged him that made it criminal on their part. No? Yeah, and it was, yes, and I think it was sort of, uh, you know, boxing him in. I, I mean, arg arguably, the state is saying that that any, that... Any sort of detention, any anything that resembled an arrest was unlawful because the citizen's arrest was unlawful. But yeah, I think, you know, wandering around the neighborhood and recording somebody, following them, uh, if you suspect them of a crime while you call and wait for the police, I don't think that would be a problem in that situation. I, I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't know Georgia law, but that sounds reasonable. Brody Z from YouTube says, I did not watch the whole trial, but can you explain why William Bryan was charged with the same charges as McMichaels? So it's... It's the felony murder law. So it's again, it's felony murder. So let's say it's the bank robbery example. So if you are part of a group of guys who are going to go and rob a bank, you've got you, two guys who are going to go into the vault and you've got a getaway driver. You're just going to walk in and stand there. Make sure nobody goes out the front door. Okay. You go to the bank, you run in, the two guys go into the vault. Uh-oh, there's a teller in there. So he, so the guy has to shoot and kill her. Terrible tragedy. You were all running out. You haven't shot anybody. You don't even know what happened in the vault. Loud bang doesn't even know what happened. Okay. So you get out in the car. You get in the getaway. You all go. You all drive away. You get busted three weeks later. You who stood there in the lobby just checking the front door, you get charged with murder because you committed a felony, a bank robbery, and somebody died in the commission of that felony. You get charged just like everybody else, just like the person who shot the teller. And in, th in this case, same deal. William Roddy Bryan was a part, a party to the crime. He gets charged with the same things. Felony murder. Are Good Samaritan laws that different in Georgia? Do you think that this sets a precedent for such cases where sh people shooting videos and not helping can be charged criminally in other jurisdictions? Thank you, Rob. Love the show. From Brody Z. Well, thank you, Brody. That's very nice of you to say that. I... No, it's not going to be precedential. This is just you know a single case. It's not an appeals court. It's not a Supreme Court case. So it's not going to be binding precedent. But in the same way that Rittenhouse was important, I think that it, it sets the it sets sort of the tone. You know, other jurors that are in that are in America are sort of, you know, filing this away in their memory banks. Like, okay, yeah, Rittenhouse, that that felt like self-defense. Arbery, yeah, that didn't feel like self-defense. Chauvin, yeah, that was probably right. People are filing these things away. And I think that's why it's important. A couple other questions here. Uh, Sweet Potato says, are you going to have Black Friday locals discount so we can re-up our subscriptions? Or is that a Democratic question asking for my college to be paid for? Set me straight. Happy almost Thanksgiving from Sweet Potato. That's what that comment looks like. 
I don't know if I can do that on locals, but absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's black Friday. It's going to be amazing. Be a locals free for all. All right. Let's see what else we've got on the Arbery verdict. We had that question. News now says I need to do more research on the sentencing guidelines. I have seen this paraphrase different ways on a few different County websites. It looks like for all three, it might mean a mandated life prison is the minimum. Again, more fact checking to come mandatory minimum. Georgia law identifies seven felonies, the seven deadly sins, number of different serious offenses there. These offenses result in 10 years without parole. Seventh offense, murder requires life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for at least 25 years. Second conviction of any of these offenses mandates life without parole. Yeah, so uh, yeah, 25 years. Yeah, 25, that sounds about right. Good to see you, News Now. Schnookum says, thank heavens he is not a flight risk. That's on Daryl Brooks. Also, he could bond out. Unlike Rittenhouse, he needs to get back to his music career. Uh, That's on Daryl Brooks. So that's in the next segment. See if we can remember to go back to those. That was from C. Rose. We've got News Now says, to make it clear to viewers, there were four felonies charged, two for aggravated assault, one with a gun, one with a truck. There you go. Thank you, News Now, for clarifying that. One for attempted false imprisonment, one for false imprisonment. So four felony murders for death during each felony. Brian was found not guilty of the aggravated assault with a gun, therefore not guilty to the murder related to it. Boom. Love that. Thank you for that clarification, News Now. You're like a co-host. I appreciate that. <laughs> nope, Rob, hold on. Oh, let me clarify that. I appreciate that. I, it's very useful because I would have just skimmed over it. Former LEO says, I'm just plain confused. How is assault not a lesser included offense of homicide? Felony murder was for whoever was involved, but not the person who pulled the trigger. First degree murder was specific intent crime, which included malice aforethought. So how is assault... Felony murder was for whoever was involved, but not the per. Yes. So, yes. So felony murder. What they're saying is that there was an aggravated assault that happened with a gun. There was an aggravated assault that happened with a car. There was what else? News now just explain this. What else do we have? Okay, News Now just explained. He just gave us, okay, one for false, yes, so one for attempted false imprisonment, felony. One for false imprisonment, felony. So each one of those that every single person was involved in is a felony. So Roddy Bryan, for example, was involved in the false imprisonment is what the jury said. You know, he was sort of helping to round up, to box Arbery in, felony. Therefore, he gets a felony murder. I'm sorry, a felony I got to go back to the charges, but there are layers here, layers of lesser included. The big ones that matter, as far as I'm concerned, malice murder, which he got, and then Roddy got popped on all of the other felony murder charges. Former, uh, we already got former Elio. Got three questions in there, former. Ice Wolf says, I think that they were guilty. They would have had a hard time with jury selection with me. I believe they ran him down without cause. It was a tragedy no one had to go through. I think it was the opposite of Kyle. Even though he may rob the empty building, he ran at the time wasn't a threat. Call the police, let them handle it. I'm not going directly down to Phoenix. I'll be up in Prescott, but it's not going to be for a couple of weeks. Sorry for the miscommunication yesterday. (laughs) May you guys have a happy Thanksgiving and we'll explain in the locals meetup on the 11th. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that, Ice Wolf. We need an update from you and many other people on December 11th for our Watching the Watchers monthly locals meetup. 
News Now says, huge lesson people should take out of this case and Kyle's. Kyle said no statements to the cops. These guys couldn't say enough. I hate that cops ask people questions immediately after a shooting. In a police-involved shooting, policy in most jurisdictions is to not take a statement for 24 hours. Same policies should be in place for civilians, but bottom line, 24 minutes, 24 hours, 24 months later, do not talk to the police, says News Now Wyoming, which is very good advice which you can learn a lot more about if you sign up for law enforcement interaction training available now at gumroad.com slash Robert Gruller. Link is down in the description below. <laughs> Thank you, News Now. Uh, we have former LEO says, in California, burglary is a specific intent crime. Entering a building or residence with the specific intent to commit petty theft or grand theft or any other felony is a burglary. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, former LEO. So I think I, 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 I'm trying to sort of guess as to what you're implying here. So that. Are you saying that the Arbery's. Uh, I'm sorry, that the, the, the McMichaels. Witnessed a burglary, because I think that that's what they were arguing about. I, I think I'm, I'm just I'm just we're, we're disconnected here. And I apologize. It's my fault. I'm sure it's my fault. Grouchy old lady, cat lady says, do you think it'll send a message to that to nobody that they should step in and help their neighbors not uh, stop a crime when it was done in good faith? That nobody should step in to help their neighbors stop a crime. Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that people will still look out for their neighbors. Personally, I, I, I've thought that the McMichaels overstepped on this. I've said that pretty consistently. I don't think that that I want people acting like the McMichaels in my neighborhood, personally. I don't want people running around with guns and trying to box people in. <laughs> not, not at all. If somebody came at me with a gun, you know, I'd be very upset about that. So what the hell are you doing? This is inappropriate. This is a public street. Leave me alone. You're not a cop. You're not a licensed person. Even if you are a cop, what are you doing talking to me? What's your business with me? So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that I want those types of uh, people, you know, running around the streets, candidly. Chairman of the board says, I don't know about the standing with your client thing of the big sample size I've seen. Standing with client equals guilty client, three out of three. Not standing with client, client not guilty, one out of one. I think the better advice is if you want to pose as a jogger, get a petty first. <laughs> It's a good point, Chairman. Standing with your client. Not standing with your client. Not guilty. But but Chauvin didn't stand. So Chauvin was a, was a not guilty. Nobody stood. Chauvin sat. Eric Nelson sat. Hmm. It's very complicated. Three Girlie says, I went back and watched Travis McMichael's testimony. I didn't like him. Found him shady, and what he was testifying to didn't add up to me. I don't think the defense would have been able to get them acquitted, even if Michaels wasn't on the stand. One, two, defense attorney talking about dirty toenails and bare feet. Another lawyer talking about all the black pastors, black Twitter, etc. Who's to say the jury just didn't believe any of them because of their outrageous statements? It's a good point, three girlies. And I made that point on Viva Stream. I'm like, maybe they're just, maybe these, these uh, specifically guff, Maybe he was just trying to confuse the jurors. I don't know. Former LEO says, there, that was never burglary, only trespassing. Talking, I think, about Arbery again. Rational Gay says, uh, off-topic compilation of documents relating to Gage Grosskreutz. Maybe on one of the next episodes, you could do a deep dive into some of that stuff. Yeah, and we're, we're going to have to do another Rittenhouse update because 
That's from Rational Gaze. Yeah, look at this history here. So he's forwarding this here. Ooh, baby, 92 pages? What is this? This is the mother load. I love documents that are 92 pages. Woo, all right. So a lot of police reports. This is great. <laughs> all right, so I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving to me. Thank you there, Rational Gaze. Love it. All right. And so that was uh, our friends over at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. Former LEO says, everybody calls trespassing burglary or robbery. I understand, and it's my cross to bear about understanding the law. Getting into the nuances of the law. Thank you, former LEO. All right. And so over at uh, on YouTube, we had a couple super chats come in. Lama Brad says, it was impressive that the prosecution secured convictions using closing slides that looked like they were circa 1980s PBS. Yeah, and chairman of the board, I think, was calling it, uh, what were the PowerPoint? There were the PowerPoint slides from uh, uh, Windows 95. <laughs> Being a taxpayer funded, they were indeed paid for, paid for by viewers like you. <laughs> it's so true. That's hysterical. PBS, yeah. PBS closing argument. Paid for viewers like you. Prosecutors, judges, police, they're all paid for citizens like you. Thanks for participating in your own prosecution, Travis. Brian Bendit says, how can something like malice aforethought, something that could never be proved beyond a reasonable doubt, how do you prove that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things that the jurors have to come to their own conclusions on. You say, you, you, you sort of go through indicia, depraved heart, you know, uh, uh, reckless conduct, something that something that was outside of the oper of, of the norms of a reasonable, ordinary person, something that no person with a good heart would do. And so there was a, it's difficult to define, but there was a Supreme Court case where they're talking about what is obscene. We talk about these obscenity laws and things that are obscene and things that are sort of pornographic in nature. And the Supreme Court is having a conversation about this. And like, well, how do we define this? Is it like, you know, certain uh, body parts? Is it certain activities? Is it certain motions? Is it certain frame rates? Is it colors? Is it, you know, sounds? How do we define what that is? And there is a judge, I forget who it was. He says, look, it's hard to define it, but you know it when you see it. And that's the definition, essentially. We can't really define it, but you know it when you see it and it's obscene and obscene things are illegal. Well, what's an obscene thing? Well, we're not going to define it for you, but you'll know it when you see it. So there's a lot of that that kind of, you know, can kind of happen in, in the law. These gray areas that jurors will fill in with, uh, with whatever they want. Tweak says, happy early Thanksgiving, Rob. Wasn't there some shady business going on, including the DA or something, who knew the McMichaels tried to prevent the police from investigating and arresting the suspects? Yeah, we already did cover it. Yeah. Do you know if anything happened with her after that? Was she investigated or something? Did she recuse herself from the investigation? Pretty sure she's been charged with a crime, actually. So uh, Arbery prosecutor indicted. If you type that in, yeah, you can see this right here. Ex-prosecutor accused of interfering with investigation into Ahmad Arbery's killing. Jackie Johnson, she was indicted on Thursday, misconduct charges, used her position to shield the men who chased and killed Arbery from being charged with crimes immediately after the shooting. You nailed it, Tweak. That's exactly her. So her case is uh, presumably still processing through. But yeah, that's part of the main reason we covered this case. I was so outraged that prosecutors were covering for their pals. Ridiculous. 
Uh, Monster One says, not related to Aubrey, but wanted your thoughts. Who the hell's advising Kyle to make these media appearances? I imagine whoever is in the conversation went like this. Hey, Kyle, I know this might sound crazy, but I think since you just won the biggest trial of the decade, you should go on Tucker and admit you committed perjury. Kyle testified he didn't re-rack, but went on Tucker and admitted he cleared a jam. I think that is information he should have taken to the grave. Yeah, I saw that clip, and I also am wondering exactly what he's doing. Getting into some of the details there. You know, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get back into Rittenhouse at some point uh, because he, he gave another interview or a continuation of the interview with Tucker that somebody flagged for me over on Locals. And we're going we're gonna to have to talk about that, too, because he's talking about the drone footage and how it all appeared magically. And we've got to dig into that. So uh, we're going to move on into the Daryl Brooks story. Let's make sure that we're up to speed Yes, and we are. And that last super chat was from Brian Bendett. Thank you, Brian, for that. Yeah, jurors just fill in malice of forethought. They decide what it is, is really what it comes down to. All right, and so those were great questions from our friends at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. And we've got several other segments. It's going to be a long show because we've got a lot to break down with this fella. Waukesha County, we had a Christmas parade where a guy by the name of Daryl Brooks, allegedly, I think it's pretty much uh, obvious at this point, ran down a bunch of people who were in this Christmas parade, killing five, now six people, many of them elderly, some very young people significantly injured. I think 60 people have been very seriously injured. And so we're going to go through this. We now have the court documents, the criminal complaint that was filed out of the state of Wisconsin, Circuit Court, Waukesha County, and we've got the state of Wisconsin versus Daryl Brooks. And you can see Daryl Brooks over here. He's got a mugshot, and he is uh, somebody facing a whole slew of serious charges. Criminal complaint filed by the clerk of the court, 1123. We see three counts on this first page. We've got count one, first degree intentional homicide. And I just want to spend some time on the first one. It's really going to be the same thing over and over and over, but let's break down count one. Sunday, November 21, we're going to put a pin in this date because we're going to put that on a calendar, on Main Street in Waukesha County, in the city of Waukesha, did cause the death of victim A. And they're saying he had intent to kill that person in violation of Wisconsin law, class A felony murder. And upon conviction, shall be sentenced to imprisonment for life. November 21st, Main Street, Waukesha County, we've got imprisonment for life, first degree intentional homicide. Now, you have that count multiplied times five. So let's break down what happened. November 21st, we have Main Street. This comes over from the Daily Mail. They have nice graphics, even though this one looks like it was uh, etched with crayons. Its resolution's quite low. But you can see Waukesha Christmas Parade starts 4 p.m. on Sunday this past weekend. Red SUV speeds down the parade in route 439 is seen being chased by a cop. So he's actually being chased by a police officer in real time. We're at section number two right here. Let's swap this over to the laser pointer so we can follow along. Then we see point number three. SUV narrowly misses hitting a little girl dancing beside the road. And we can see this image up here of a little girl standing beside the red SUV. Point four, car is filmed hitting a marching band, leaving people injured in the road. Point number five, SUV hits a group of girls carrying pom-poms in the parade. You can see these images are just sort of following along. Now, all these are, you know, sanitary images. Six, video captures dozens of injured people lying in the road. You see people assisting down there. 
The car breaks through the barrier, speeds away, police officer fires shots at the car. We fast forward to point eight. SUV is found parked a few blocks away. Police detain Daryl Brooks nearby. A little bit of a different angle. You can see that he kind of was going to do this V-shape. The parade route was marked on the road in yellow. And so he is just racing down, you know, sort of, uh, it looks like, you know, a, a very, a very appropriate road for this, you know, for a parade, in other words. And he's just, you know, going down the entire alley, hitting everybody in sight. SUV strikes victims outside of a gelato cafe shortly after SUV plows through marchers outside a joke shop on the main street, continues to drive through the parade, crashes through barriers at the intersection, and then speeds away. Okay, absolute lunacy. Like lunacy. So what's going on? We have uh, this is taking place in Waukesha, not far at all from Kenosha. Same area. We see down here, we have Antioch, which is right around the corner. And this is where, this is where Kyle Rittenhouse was. So he was across the pond here, or, or across the, the border in Antioch, traveled over to Kenosha. This guy's about an hour away. He's in Waukesha. This happened just two days after the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. So we have 19 of Friday, November. That's when Kyle Rittenhouse has acquitted all charges. Then on Sunday, we get... This guy, an hour away, running over a bunch of people. And that's relevant, isn't it? Because we just heard from many people that Kyle Rittenhouse, a white supremacist leader, somebody who is, you know, shooting people of the opposite color or something. I don't know what the stinking narrative was. It's not true. He gets acquitted. A couple days fast forward. We get a massive uh, mass casualty event. A massacre that happens an hour away. We take a look at the other charges just for completeness, and we can see two additional counts of first-degree intentional homicide. Nothing different other than we have different victims. Victim D, we've got victim E. I think there is going to be a victim F that gets added, and there will be a whole slew of additional penalties and criminal charges that come out of this. Many aggravated assaults, probably many attempted homicides, many attempted murders, many, you know, reckless endangerment, vehicular manslaughter, all, who knows what else is going to come out of this thing. Let's take a look at the deceased, pay our respects. We have Jane Kulik. She is a, scene, a citizen at bank employee walking with the parade float before she was struck. Tamara Duran left 52, Leanna Owen 71 on the right. Two members of the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies. They're dead, died on Sunday. Virginia Sorensen left 79, was a nurse member of the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, group of elderly women marching. Will Willem Hospital, right, 82. He was the husband of one of the grannies, died from internal bleeding, according to his older brother. So the Dancing Grannies walking down the street in Waukesha, celebrating Christmas, mowed down. Let's take a look at the probable cause statement. So this was part of the criminal complaints. Here's what it says. And praise that the defendant be dealt with according to the law. 
The basis for these offenses is based upon information from officers. We think this is truthful. On November 21, Casey, Detective Casey, was working traffic control for the annual Christmas parade in Waukesha. Downtown area assigned to traffic control. Staging area for the parade was uh, to the south of Main Street. There were approximately 100 entries in the parade. Hundreds of participants, thousands of people watching the parade. Already started, there were numerous people on the route on East Main Street. 4.35 p.m., Detective Casey heard via Waukesha Police Radio, a reserve officer was informed by a citizen that two people were fighting in the area of White Rock School. Squads were sent to the area to investigate further. few minutes later, Detective Casey heard a horn honking from an area north of his location. Casey went out onto White Rock Avenue to see where the horn sound was coming from. He observed that White Rock Avenue was filled with parade participants, as was East Main Street. He began to see people spreading apart and observed a red Ford Escape driving southbound on White Rock Avenue. He observed people jumping out of the way of the red Ford Escape. As the Ford Escape was at White Rock and East Main Street, Casey stepped in front of the Ford Escape, pounded the hood of the vehicle, and yelled multiple times, Stop! Casey was wearing a shirt with patches on both shoulders, stated Waukesha Police, as well as wearing a black hat with white letters on the front, which stated Police. Further, he was wearing a neon orange safety vest that stated police on the front and back of it. Easily identifiable. Ford Escape continued driving, turned westbound on Main Street at that time. Vehicle was driving at a slow speed. The vehicle brushed Detective Casey back off of the front of the car, causing him to be positioned down on the driver's side of the vehicle. He went to the driver's side window and pounded on the driver's side door. Yelling stop again. Casey subsequently positively identified the driver of the Ford Escape as Daryl E. Brooks. Here and after referred to as the defendant. He then drove past Detective Casey and into the parade procession. Casey chased the vehicle to East Avenue on foot. He observed the vehicle begin to drive faster. Casey broadcast over the radio that the red Ford Escape had entered the parade route and he needed squads to respond in an emergency fashion. A few seconds later, Casey heard on police radio the vehicle was striking people and was continuing westbound. While the defendant was driving westbound on East Main Street, he struck numerous pedestrians, which included both parade participants and spectators located on the side of the street. Casey later observed three adult victims in the road. These victims, A, B, and C, all three traumatic injuries as a result of being hit by the vehicle that he was driving, subsequently pronounced dead. Victim D, an adult, was transported to Waukesha Hospital. She subsequently died as a result of injuries. Victim E, transported to Aurora Summit, also died as a result of injuries due to being struck by the defendant's vehicle. In addition to the five deceased adults, there were 62 injured victims. 62 injured victims. Children and adults some of which are in critical condition. Doctor, doctor from medical examined officers said that they concluded cause of deaths for A, B, C, D, and E were multiple blunt force injuries. Officer B was assisting with crowd control. 438, he heard on his radio that he was traveling westbound, approaching the parade route. So we're going now to Officer B. He observed a red Ford Escape also traveling westbound. He began walking onto East Main Street Vehicle turned as the vehicle was traveling. Officer B was standing directly in line with the vehicle, wearing a full uniform, put his hands up, yelled, stop, stop the vehicle multiple times. 
Based on his training and experience, Officer B estimated the vehicle speed 25 miles per hour. The vehicle was initially sticking to the north side of the road in the open lane between the parade participants and the spectators. Officer B observed the driver looking straight ahead, directly at him, and it appeared he had no emotion on his face. As the vehicle passed his location, Officer B yelled for the vehicle to stop. The vehicle continued traveling westbound on Main Street, passed through the intersection. Officer B concluded that if the driver was lost and attempting to get out of the parade, this would have been a reasonable location for him to stop and exit the parade route. Vehicle continued and was honking its horn. As the vehicle got to Martin Street, it appeared to Officer B that the vehicle began to increase its speed. As the vehicle was traveling westbound, it began getting closer to parade spectators and almost struck a small juvenile who was standing in the street in the parking stalls on the north side of the road. We saw that image previously. The vehicle then got to the intersection. It appeared the brakes were activated. Officer B believed the whole vehicle was going to come to a stop and then make a right-hand turn to get out of the parade route. However, the vehicle then appeared to rapidly accelerate. Officer B heard tires squeal. Vehicle took an abrupt left turn into the crowd of parade participants. At this point, it was clear to Officer B that this was an intentional act to strike and hurt as many people as possible. Officer B continued to run, trailing the vehicle, observed the vehicle, appeared to intentionally be moving side to side, striking multiple people, and bodies and objects were flying from the area of the vehicle. As Officer B got to the area of the Subway restaurant, Officer B began to encounter multiple casualties. Multiple people were pulling at him saying that they needed assistance with injured parties. Based on the ongoing threat of the vehicle and the occupant, Officer B asked those assisting with the casualty as he passed if they were breathing and advised them to stay with them. Ambulances are on their way. Officer B continued to chase after the vehicle on foot in order to stop the threat that the driver posed. Detective Casey spoke with Officer S, who indicated he saw the Ford Escape traveling southbound. Running over people, Officer S shot at the vehicle three times, striking it three times. Detective T spoke with multiple citizens and witnesses who were present during the parade. One witness indicated, quote, as I continued to watch the SUV, it continued to drive in a zigzag motion. It was like the SUV was trying to avoid vehicles, not people. There was no attempt made by the vehicle to stop, much less slow down. Detective T spoke with another witness, described the same zigzag pattern by the SUV. He felt as, quote, it were a direct intent to hit as many parade participants. Based on the foregoing, I believe the following complaint to be true and correct. Subscribe, sworn to me. Susan Opper, District Attorney, State Bar number what it is. Captain Tom Wagner, Waukesha County, Government individuals. This is Daryl Brooks now who is being called into court for his arraignment. So now that this criminal complaint has been filed, looks like there's enough probable cause to move forward with criminal charges against this guy. And he gets brought into court. And what we're doing now is the judges arraigning him. So they're going to be telling him what he's been charged with. Five counts, intentional homicide. Remember that when you're going through the justice system, one of the big things that we want to make sure happens is that you get due process. One of the things that is uh, important in that is that you know what is happening, that you know what's going on uh, against you. You have to have notice about the proceedings that have been initiated against you. Otherwise, how can you be available to defend yourself? 
So here, what the judge is going to do is tell him, this is what you've been charged with. This is the maximum penalty. We're going to hear a little bit from the uh, defense attorney talking about him being indigent. So he's not going to be able to go hire a lawyer to represent him. So it's going to be a public defender. You're going to see the public defender sort of, you know, kind of consoling him a little bit. I know it weirds people out, but that's what happens. And this is what court looks like. Now, he's also brought in and we're going to talk about release conditions, which is a critical part of any criminal proceeding, because if it is a criminal and they are dangerous, well, society doesn't want them out doing dangerous things, causing more harm and ruckus. And so we have to talk about that. At the same time, this is America and we have what's called the presumption of innocence and the right to due process and the right to trial. And we don't just throw people behind bars and lock them away and forget about them. No, we want to make sure that we're always adhering to the presumption of innocence. And so we, we default towards people not being held in custody. But there are times and situations where the defendant, the person who's being charged with the crime is so dangerous and so harmful that even though they haven't been convicted of a crime yet, we still hold them in custody. And so we have a conversation about this in court. We're going to hear from the judge or the commissioner in this case. We're going to hear from the prosecution. We're going to hear from the defense. Should this gentleman be receiving a bond? Should he be released out into the world again? We have arguments about that from both sides. And then the judge issues a ruling. Let's see how that sounded today. This is case number 21 CF 1848, State of Wisconsin versus Darrell Brooks. Matters tapped to Judge Lau. Appearance by the state, please. Good afternoon, Commissioner Sue Opper and Leslie Basie, appearing for the State of Wisconsin. Thank you. And for Mr. Brooks. Darrell Brooks appears in person in custody with attorneys Anna Keyes and Jeremy Perry. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. And we are here on a criminal complaint, a complaint that's now been filed. Uh, Mr. Perry, will Mr. Brooks acknowledge that he has received a copy of that complaint and will he waive its reading in open court here today? We have received copies of the criminal complaint. We waive formal reading. Thank you. Um, it may at some point uh, be relevant, but the address on the complaint is accurate. That's right. Thank you. And Mr. Brooks, I have reviewed a copy of this criminal complaint. I will find it does state probable cause as to each of the five charges before you. You're charged in count one with first degree intentional homicide. That's a class A felony, and that uh, has a maximum possible penalty of it being sentenced to uh, imprisonment for life. That's for victim A. Count two, first degree intentional homicide regarding victim B, uh, is a Class A felony, again, the maximum possible sentence is a sentence to imprisonment for. Okay, so they're going through, and the judge is going to go through all of the other homicide counts. So maximum life imprisonment, you know, this is what you've been charged with. This is what the com criminal complaint says. You got a lawyer over there. You saw a public defender, you know, consoling him, right? He, look, allegations are what the allegations are. He's still a human being. And so the, pro the, the public defender is going to treat him like a human being. And I know it, it weirds people out. But that's, that's, you know, the empathetic thing to do. He is still innocent. He has not been proven guilty yet. So you got to understand that this is how the system works. And I know that a lot of people might recoil at that. 
but that's how this works. And so she's going to be treating him like a human being, which I think is a good thing to do. All right. So we have to uh, carry on now. We're talking about release conditions. Release conditions are uh, very important. Let's take a look at what uh, Wisconsin law has to say about it. It says we have to consider a few things before we release a person. Considerations in setting the release conditions. If a bail is imposed, it shall only be in the amount found necessary to assure the appearance of the defendant. Okay. That's it. To assure the appearance of the defendant. We're also going to see up here, it says before conviction, a defendant arrested for a criminal offense is eligible for release under reasonable conditions designed to assure his appearance in court, but also to protect members of the community from serious bodily harm, to prevent the intimidation of witnesses and other things. Bail may be imposed if there is a reasonable basis to believe that it's necessary to ensure the appearance in court. So you can see that in this statute, a lot of what they're talking about is to reinsure. So you're sort of, you're balancing multiple different factors here, whether a, a, a person is going to come back to court. It's very important that they come back. They can't just ignore the court proceeding. So you want to default to the least onerous conditions to ensure that they come back to court. You don't want to create big, you know, onerous bond conditions because those can be you know, very punitive. And this person has not been convicted yet generally speaking. Here, we're going to get into more bond stuff. There's going to be a lot of bond conversation because there's argument that he was already on a bond that was inappropriate, but the judge ideally is setting the the least restrictive conditions that are necessary to secure somebody back in court. But they're also having to balance that with protecting the community. In this case, this guy allegedly drove and killed six people, injured 60 plus other people. So we're talking about things beyond just coming back to court. It's now about protecting members of the community for, from serious bodily harm. If bail imposed only to be the amount necessary, conditions of release other than monetary conditions may be imposed for the purpose of protecting members of the community from serious bodily harm. So in other words, this judge, according to this, has full authority to prevent other monet- other conditions of release, right? Which is absolutely obvious. We can also see that he's been charged. Yeah, take a look at this. Here it says, pre-trial detention, denial of release from custody, A circuit court may deny release from custody under this section to any of the following persons. So a judge can say, I'm not going to grant you bond at all. Any person accused of committing an offense under section 940.01, guess what he was charged with down here, 940.01A. Murder. If you're accused of murder, a circuit court may deny you of release from custody, according to Wisconsin law. So why did he get out? Let's listen in to the prosecution's argument. So I am advocating for significant cash bail, Your Honor. I'm asking for $5 million cash bail. I know that's uh, a large amount of money, but I think it is warranted on this history. And I think it's uh, warranted when the court considers, if convicted, Mr. Uh, Brooks will spend the rest of his life in prison. Thank you. Thank you. What? Okay. All right. So a lot of people are really getting on this judge for, for granting a $5 million bond. Did you hear the government? They asked for it. 
That was their recommendation. $5 million from a prosecutor? I'm not a prosecutor, never would be. Uh, the thought, horrific. But it is typical for a prosecutor in this case to say, uh, no bond, Your Honor. There's no, there is nothing that you can do that's going to secure the safety of the community out there. The guy just drove through a parade. So if we tell him, like, don't do that again, do you think that that's going to connect? So they just say, well, I mean, look, I mean, five, five million bucks. If he can post five million bucks, then I guess that means he's not going to drive through a parade again. The government asked for that, which that's on them. They should have asked for a non-bond, no bond, you know, absolutely no bond because there's nothing that you can do, judge, to, to ensure that this guy doesn't do something like this again because he just drove through a parade. It's not a self-defense situation. This is not a situation where you've got a 17-year-old kid with no criminal record at all that has a strong claim of self-defense. You weigh all the different factors. This is not a case of somebody with a, a clean record at all. This is a repeat offender. The government should be asking for zero bond, non-bondable is a better way to say that. There's no release conditions that can, that can secure society. But they don't. They come out. Oh, five million. Yeah, five million is pretty high. But we know that Kamala Harris likes to raise funds for people who've committed crimes. Maybe she'll be the person who's spearheading the fundraising efforts. Maybe he'll get five million. Maybe he'll be out of custody. And do you feel safe, anybody out there, if he's out on, on custody? The five million bucks is going to keep him in line? Somebody who's been committing crimes his whole life and then drove through an entire parade? Would be your argument if you're a prosecutor. But she just comes out, $5 million, nothing to even scoff at. Then we get uh, the defense attorney who says, well, that sounds pretty high. He's pretty poor. And so that's probably not going to be doable. Now, you have to ask yourself, even as a defense attorney, do you feel comfortable arguing that your client is not a danger to the community after what just happened? Like, can you avow to the court, your honor, look, this whole thing was a misunderstanding. It was only, uh, you know, it was only six people. Those people came out of nowhere. You know, he's not going to do it again. He learned his lesson. He's going to go home. His mom's going to take care of him. He's got a good job. He's got a good family. So he's not going to be a danger. He's not a flight risk. He's not going anywhere. No, even the defense attorney is going to go. It's probably, it's probably a good idea to keep him in here. Uh, all right. Here's what the defense attorney said. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, when this court determines what amount of monetary bail is reasonable and necessary to assure Mr. Brooks's appearance in court, I guess at today's hearing, the only thing I would add for the court's consideration is that Mr. Brooks is financially indigent, does qualify for public defender representation, and that that individual circumstance uh, must be taken into account. Does that conclude your argument? It does. Thank you. Does that conclude your argument? Did you so, hear that? Uh, first of all, let's get... Okay. So if you watch the full proceeding, it's about 15 minutes. The prosecutor, she goes off for like 20 minutes and she goes through all of his criminal history, which I I think we're going to get to later uh, in, in this clip. But she goes through the whole length of it and it's a big, long argument about why he's dangerous. $5 million. I know it's a lot and all this stuff. Goes to the defense. He's like... Uh, He's poor. He's indigent. So he can't afford a lawyer. I ask that you take that into consideration. The judge says, 
Are you done? That's it? Anything else? Nope, that's it. That's all I got to say. Because he can't say anything else. What's he going to say? You know, normally in a case like that, a defense lawyer says, listen, judge, I've talked to my client. Here's our position. Client says, this is really what happened. We're going to be contesting these charges. You know, we, uh, we, we say that we stand by our client's innocence on this thing, and we're going to be, you know, duh, 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 the whole thing. Four and four is a problem. Client has good ties to the community. Not a flight risk. No criminal history whatsoever. Not a danger. Mom's here in the courtroom. She's going to take him home. She's going to make sure that he gets a good meal and goes to bed and home before nine. All of those things. Judge, therefore, we're asking you release him on his own recognizance. Let him go. You make those arguments. This, this, this defense attorney had none of that. No idea. He's like, uh, yeah, just whatever you want to do, judge. So the judge did. Catherine Harridge says that the judge sets the bail at $5 million, which is kind of nuts. The offense is shocking, he says. Here's what he said in court. Bail. I have no problem with the bail being recommended by the state. I'm an old guy who has been doing this for almost 40 years. DA's office, criminal defense attorney, 17, 18 years as a uh, commissioner, both in Milwaukee and... uh, now in Waukesha, the nature of this offense is shocking. Uh, actually, the detail I was not expecting here today that two, two detectives, not lay people, detectives, uh, not only tried to stop this, but rendered an opinion that this was an intentional act. You're presumed innocent, sir, uh, but that's what the allegations are. Um, and I've not seen anything like this in my very long career. Um, it seems to be a very strong case for the state. Likelihood of incarceration, which is the other aspect of bail, is absolute. If you are found guilty of any one of these, a multitude of them, it's a life imprisonment sentence that must be meted out. So I, I have no problem. I just, with, with that bail, it's extraordinarily high, but it's an extraordinarily big case. It's an extraordinarily uh, serious case with an extraordinary history of this gentleman um, of fleeing, of hurting people, of not following court orders, not following um, criminal laws, not following just your societal norms. Yeah. Um, So I know that that's extraordinarily high bail. Uh, It's warranted here, and I am setting cash bail in the amount of $5 million. All right. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a high bail, but it's also something that, you know, if the guy posts it, like, are you you still – finding the right balance there. We just read through the Wisconsin statutes. They say, you know, you have to consider public safety. Bail typically, you know, for an offense like this is not granted. Because there's five people dead. And it looked like it was very intentional. All right. And so uh, that was what bail was set for, for uh, this guy, Daryl Brooks Jr., age 39. That was coming out of the commissioner, out of the Waukesha court. We'll continue to follow that case. We are also learning more about Daryl Brooks. Looks like he's got a pretty prolific online profile all over the place. And the Daily Mail did some digging along with some other sluice from all over the interwebs. Here's what it looks like. They've got an exclusive. They're saying that Daryl Brooks said, quote, 
the old white people knocked them TF out. Waukesha suspect shared social media posts promoting violence towards white people and claiming black people were the, quote, true Hebrews. Uh-oh. So we learned a little bit more about Daryl Brooks in the prior segment. Social media posts show the suspect was a staunch supporter of BLM, also encouraged knocking out white people. He writes in very interesting uh, uh, language, says, So when we start back knocking white people TF out, I on want to hear it. The old white people too. Knock them TF out, period, he wrote back in June. So we can go through some of this. The Daily Mail says that he was accused of plowing into five people, killing them. He had a now-deleted Facebook account belonging to Daryl Brooks, showed the alleged killer encouraged knocking white people out, said that he supported the controversial black Hebrew Israelites. Charged on Tuesday, five counts of intentional murder are going to be six soon. Police are yet to determine the motive behind the deadly rampage. However, uh, records reveal Brooks is a career criminal. Rap sheet back to 1999 and bailed out twice this year. Facebook posts show he's an amateur rapper who went by the stage name Math Boy Fly. (laughs) Math Boy Fly? Is that for real? Had shared a series of links and memes related to race and white privilege in June. Protests erupted over George Floyd. Five of the six victims, all white, who died on Sunday were aged 52 to 82, part of the Waukesha Club known as the Dancing Grannies. He said something else back in June. Let's see what he said here. Here's Math Boy Fly. Says, learned and taught behavior. So when we start back knocking white people, TF out, Ion wanna hear it, he says. The old white people, too. The old white people, too. Knock them TF out, period. Middle finger emoji. And an F-bomb emoji. Apparently, that was posted back on June 9th, 2020. Facebook post. Math Boy Fly. Also posted this. I'm not sure where this is uh, coming up from. Math Boy Fly. Yeah, it looks like Facebook as well. Sharing some posts says, we start back knocking white. Oh, there it is, yeah. Yeah, so there it is. Different, different post. So he's sharing more, you know, a white fight, a Fort Lauderdale cop tries to get violent with peaceful protesters. This black woman police officer wasn't having it. So he was sharing memes. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Kuzma breaks down the belief of what white privilege is. So you can see all of that, you know, from social media. Uh, it says the article continues. He shared an article from ESPN. It was talking about NBA player Kyle Kuzma breaking down white privilege six days earlier shared a post about being violent towards peaceful protesters. He has a troubling track record among the brow-raising social media posts that resurfaced on Tuesday is a meme about Adolf Hitler and the identity of the real Jews. The graphic posted back November 2015 claimed Negroes are the true Hebrews and that America had moved, quote, false white Jews into the state of Israel. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, the posts seem to promote the views of black Hebrew Israelites who believe African-Americans are literal descendants of the Israelites in the Bible. Brooks had shared the meme with the caption, Research, and commented, Real game right here. Made his initial appearance in court on Tuesday. He could be heard crying during the proceeding, le- leaning over with his head nearly in his lap with his attorney resting a hand on his back. Here's that meme he shared. Says uh, Hitler knew who the real Jews were. Hitler said, even in his death, he will start World War III. Okay, so what is he? All right, so uh, 
Black Lives Matter. You can see he's accused of mowing down scores of people. Got multiple, uh, another mugshot. You can see here, another looks like a Facebook post that he posted over here. Math boy fly. Five counts homicide confirmed a six person. A child has died. More charges are pending. There's going to be a whole, there's going to be like 40 pages of charges. I, I, I would guess. Jackson Sparks was walking in the parade along with his brother. Many other people were killed. Earlier on Tuesday, video emerged showing Brooks hammering on a stranger's door, claiming he was waiting for an Uber just 20 minutes after the attack. I think we have that clip. Also seen surrounded by police officers who shouted at him to put his hands up. He's been charged with five counts of murder. Doorbell camera by NBC News show him wearing a red T-shirt knocking on the door of a resident located about half a mile away from the Waukesha Christmas Parade. Timestamp shows that he knocked on the door at one minute past 5 p.m. local time. It's 20 minutes after he drove the vehicle through the crowds, killing five. So he bails, you know, he ditches his car, starts pounding on people's doors. Victims have been identified. We talked about them in the prior segment. We've got dancing grannies, Virginia Sorensen, Leanna Owens, Tamara Durand, Citizen Bank employee Jane Kulik, and 82-year-old Wilhelm Hospital. So, ugh. It's just, uh, it's just terrible. So we have now some imagery of him. Uh, this is him coming upon that residence trying to get access. I'm just waiting for an Uber. Don't, don't mind me. Here's how that went down. Hey, can I, I call some, I called an Uber. And I'm supposed to be waiting for it over here, but I don't know when it's coming. Can you call it for me, please? I'm homeless. this guy absolutely not no i don't know that guy whoa man so that's a pretty bold statement you know you just mow over uh 60 70 people and you just decide you're going to ditch your car and then go try to uh hang out at somebody somebody's house so uh amazing that that you know they they just kind of came upon him and they were able to to around him up. We've got some more pictures here. You can see the Daily Mail broke this down for us. Video captured by a ring camera appears to show Daryl Edward Brooks in front of a home before being arrested. Took place just 20 minutes after the attack. Knocked on the door of the resident located half a mile away. He's shivering and standing on the porch and then police surrounded him. Shout, put your hands up. And they came and they just arrested him. Here's a mugshot from a prior. I think this maybe maybe this is from the exact one. 
Police said he was leaving a domestic dispute in his SUV when he plowed into the festive crowds. One neighbor claims his ex-girlfriend was seen running away with no shoes and a black eye. Waukesha resident named only as Ebony, she lives across the street from Brooks, told the son the suspect had regular fights with his partner. She tried to break it up, threatened to call the cops often. Video comes from a uh, the video comes as Milwaukee District Attorney faces furious questions about why Brooks was out on the streets after at the time of the attacks. He's already been bailed out twice this year, despite a lengthy criminal history stretching back to 1999. John Chesholm released a statement on Monday admitting Brooks, 39, should not have been released on a $1,000 bond earlier. He was involved in an alleged hit-and-run incident previously. Sunday, he was fleeing the scene. 20 minutes later, he showed up. So we just saw all that. Yeah, he put his hands in the air. So we saw that scene, so we can skip through most of this. Not clear from the video. Uh, then we have the amateur rapper. So his history goes way back, dating back to 1999. 15 arrests in the state of Wisconsin alone. 15. Possession of drugs, strangulation, suffocation. We've got battery. We've got uh, legally possessing firearms. November 2nd, domestic violence charge. Bond set at $1,000. Milwaukee District Attorney's Office released a statement. We're going to take a look at that. Back in Nevada in 2006, statutory rape had sex with a 15-year-old girl. Brooks was 24 years old at the time. Lyrics include F the pigs, F Donald Trump. Another song posted on SoundCloud has the lyrics, They're going to need a cleaner for the S we did. All my killers, Gacy, where them bodies hid. The lyrics of another song read, sliding through the city with no safety on. His rap songs also make mention of AK-47s and killing people. So that's great. So, uh, yeah, so this guy's just a a laundry list of uh, problems. The media, of course, is taking their own perspective in this case. We see that the Waukesha Journal Sentinel, somebody, something, a journal near Milwaukee, they have eliminated it from the front page of their newspaper. Stephen Miller, who covers a lot of the media stories here, says the Waukesha parade attack has gone from the front page of the Journal Sentinel. The day after the suspect appeared in court and the death of another child was announced. This is set from a source, so nothing on there. Milwaukee, Wisconsin Journal Sentinel. We've got Black Friday deals. We've got uh, 2020 headwinds for the governor. We've got forests near a Rhinelander is tested for the impact of radiation. Very important. Wild turkeys raised by humans has a wild story, which is very interesting. And then we've got Table games are back down at the Potawatomi uh, Casino, it looks like. <laughs> now, if you turn all the way over to A3, then you're going to see this little blurb about this. Uh, five homicide counts filed could face the six after the boy dies. Now, you compare and contrast that with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse coverage or Derek Chauvin coverage or any one of these other situations where there's a homicide that exists. White supremacy, white patriarchy, hierarchy. We've got all sorts of catastrophic meltdowns happening all over the country when anything like that happens. But if it's the reverse, if it's a rapper who wants and doesn't like old white people and then actually kills a bunch of old white people, you get A3. (laughs) The day after your court, you get page A3 in like a a couple of paragraphs. And it's not even uh, just locally there. It's also the New York Times. So NYT putting Charlottesville, this came over, I think from Kristen Barber. I don't know why I clipped the guy's name off on this. I apologize for that. Typically, I like to source where I get this from, but you can see the New York Times Wednesday, November 24th, 
Nothing about it above the fold. They're not talking about that, but instead, they're going to talk about Charlottesville over here. <laughs> it's so transparent. Nine are held liable in a rally by the right wing. 25 million in damages. White ring, uh, right wing racists are appropriate for the New York Times, but not, not uh, a, a, a black racist who wants to kill white people. It's weird, weird, the double standards that exist, but you know, they exist. They are what they are. So uh, it, it's not a coincidence. This is something that's happening all over the place. ABC News and CNN, they're not just burying it. So New York Times doesn't even talk about it, not even on the front page. Wealthy nations uh, compete to lure foreign workers, shortages in the pandemic. As the price of gas climbs, Biden taps oil reserves because he's a moron. We've got retail change found at fault in opioid crisis, but nothing about six people dead out of Wisconsin. Not Nothing. New York Times on Wednesday. ABC News, though, they're at least talking about it, but they're not talking about it like a massacre or like a murder or like terrorism. They're talking like it is a parade crash that just happened. Oh, a sixth person, a child has died from injuries due to Sunday's Christmas parade crash. Don't you hate when parades have crashes in them? CNN says a child has died in relation to the also to the parade incident. Ugh. Don't you know those parade incidents where a maniac drives through? The entire street and runs over 70 people. Small, ins- it happens, you know, it happens. You never know when it's going to happen. So that's uh, CNN, ABC. Newsweek, they're doing the same thing. Waukesha, deadly Christmas parade crash update. How to watch the press conference. It's a crash. That was back on 11-22. Uh, earlier here, we've got uh, an hour ago. Now we know a, the child is the sixth death in the Waukesha parade crash. Suspect is now charged. It's, uh, you know, crashes and incidents and stuff happens at these Christmas parades. They get wild over there. We can see NBC, according to Andy NGO over on Twitter, says MSNBC featured a paid analyst, Selected Wisdom, who referred to the Waukesha car ramming incident as an accident. Criminal complaint details how multiple witnesses said the driver stopped and then sped up in a zigzag to mow people down. But she calls it an accident. One thing I do worry about, actually two things, Stephanie, is one is the idea of contagion. Uh, whether it has anything to do with this uh, uh, accident last night and, and the killing of these people. They know what they're doing. They know what they're saying. They're using this language for a reason. And they're now having to admit that they are uh, doing a terrible job of managing the criminal justice system. Not a surprise. We have Kristen Barbaresi is sharing this as breaking. The Milwaukee County District Attorney says the Waukesha suspect, Daryl Brooks, should not have been released on such a low cash bond earlier this month. They're conducting an internal review. Oh, woo! You know, I thought this case was uh, never going to get, we were going to be a problem indefinitely. Never get to the bottom of it. But now, a prosecutor's office is doing an internal review. Well, I feel relieved. I don't know about, we can actually stop the show right here. So uh, we're done with watching The Watchers. It's been a good run, but uh, prosecutors are conducting internal reviews now. So there's nothing for us to do anymore. There's nobody to watch. They're on top of it. Okay, here's what the statement says. What a joke. November 22nd. uh, Below is the summary of pending charges against Mr. Daryl Brooks. July 27th, Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. They issued two counts of second degree recklessly endangering safety and a felon in possession of a firearm in case whatever that number is. Cash bail originally set at 10,000, subsequently reduced to 7,500. 
Unlike some other states, Wisconsin requires payment for the full amount of bail set in any criminal case. February 9th, then. State prepared to proceed to a scheduled jury trial. Ms. Brooks was still in custody on this matter. Previously made a demand for a speedy jury trial because another jury trial was in progress before the same court. The defendant's demand for a speedy jury trial could not be met. Case was adjourned and the bail was reduced to $500, which the defendant posted on February 21st. This is why you exercise that right to a speedy trial. Some attorneys will will continue cases, continue cases, continue cases. You waive your time. You waive your right to a speedy trial every time you do that. If the government can't prosecute you, they might violate those rights, might warrant a dismissal. On November 5th, then, District Attorney's Office issued against Mr. Brooks a second, uh, new charges. The most recent case was appropriately charged. State made a cash bail request in the case of 1,000 set by the court. Then he posted that and was released. The state bail's recommendation in this case was inappropriate low in light of the nature of the recent charges. The bail recommendation is not consistent with the approach of our office for matters involving violent crime, nor was it consistent with the risk assessment of the defendant prior to setting of the bail. Currently conducting an internal review of our decision to make the recent bail recommendation to determine the appropriate next steps. Okay, so that's really nice. So you guys, yeah, sure. Now, Cernovich over there on Twitter, huge following says, this is a lie. The DA supports ending bail and praises Soros-aligned prosecutors. I posted a couple of these clips. DA John Chisholm says, an ADA on pretrial detention reform. So a district attorney says, we have really made a commitment to not keeping individuals held unnecessarily on cash bail in Milwaukee County Jail. He also congratulated uh, somebody named George Gascon over in San Francisco, says, sending my best wishes to San Francisco DA George Gascon and his family, a lifelong public servant. George is a pioneer in prosecutor-driven justice reform. His legacy in San Francisco and on the national reform stage will endure long after he retires. So that's great. So you've got, uh, have you seen what's happening in San Francisco, in California? A- anywhere in that dumpster fire of a state? Yeah, it's a mess. And so you've got the DA over in Wisconsin who's praising the DA over in San Francisco and operating according to the same policies. So it's kind of a mess, isn't it? Let's see what you have to say about this from our friends over at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. And then we're going to get to the super chats over on YouTube. So let's see what we've got coming in here. Daryl Brooks says, uh, PWS MKAZ says, but Rob, this was just a car crash, according to the mainstream media. Why are you talking about it? It's just an incident. It's like, whoops. It was just a crash. Former LEO says, have you seen the enhanced FBI high definition drone footage? Not yet. Probably will soon enough. C. Miller says, been watching since the beginning of Rittenhouse, but my work schedule rarely aligns with the stream. So longtime listener, first time caller, if you will. Well, welcome to the program there, C. Miller. Great to have you. If Brooks is already out on bond and this happens, how is he not just remanded for violation of bond conditions with no bail? It's a great question. It's a great question. C. Miller, it's a great question. I don't know. He committed, so I think what you're saying is that he he was already out on bond. He had a new case that was pending. So he was in violation of his 
uh, existing release orders, which are, which are don't commit a new crime while you're out on release. Yes, we're going to release you. It's going to be a $1,000 bond. You're going to sign off on here, post your bond. It's going to make sure you come back. Otherwise, we keep that money and you're going to come back to court. But while you're on release, do not commit another crime. If you get stopped with so much as a, you know, as a narcotic pill in your car, that's a new crime and you are now going to be, you know, remanded. It's a great point, C. Miller. I don't know what the rules are in Wisconsin. In Arizona, you're non-bondable. If you're on felony release and you commit a new crime while on felony release, you are non-bondable. So there's a, there's a lot that you can argue to sort of reverse that. But as a general rule, broad strokes, that's how it works. So it's a great question. Why wasn't he just automatically remanded and made non-bondable because he was already on release? News Now says... It is interesting that Kyle got a $1 million bond for each dead victim. This guy gets $1 million for each dead victim. When I compare criminal backgrounds, seems to be a little bit, bit of an issue here. I'm guessing it's still more than $1,000 he paid a week ago. Yeah, he's got a very, very long criminal record. The prosecutor took like 20 minutes to get through it all. Speech Unleashed says, saw a clip where he almost hit a little girl in a pink coat. Yes, I'm assuming her gender. I was in shock that anyone could be that cruel. I feel so sorry for the people of Wisconsin. I also hope that if Brooks claims he did it because of BLM or the Rittenhouse verdict, that the, me the biased media and Biden are also held accountable for drumming up this kind of violence. If people can blame Trump for January 6th, and we can blame Biden and the media for these things. Right, look. The Kyle Rittenhouse narrative was entirely false. Even many people who were the promoters of the false narrative are now going, eh, yeah, I was kind of wrong on that one. Sorry. They are contributing to the problem. If it, you know, which I think, it, uh, look, look, there's a lot more evidence that Daryl Brooks didn't like white people than there are of Kyle Rittenhouse not liking black people. And he didn't even kill any black people. Okay, we've got, uh, that was from speech. Good to see you. We have three girlies says, you were talking about the Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart in Jacobellis versus Ohio. He was trying to characterize pornography, but he would know when he sees it. Good Lord, the world we live in is so different than the world we do. He died in 1985, the year of my birth. Justice Potter Stewart. Thank you for that. I can never remember the details on that. But yeah, he, he, he couldn't define it. What is it's, you know, it's hard to say, but you know it when you see it. And he's kind of not wrong, is he? Is he? <laughs> it's in a, in a weird way. Chip Von Shoulder says, I heard a theory that someone reported to the police a knife fight somewhere else in town, which took police away from the parade and sent them on a wild goose chase before Brooks mowed down people in the parade. Media then tried to say Brooks was getting away from a knife fight. This case will be interesting to follow and compare to the latest trials. Yeah, we'll continue to keep our eye on it. We've got a lot of experience now covering Wisconsin cases, so uh, we'll do it here. B. Brave says, this is malice. This is pure evil. I had a dream foreshadowing this massacre, and I'm freaked out about it. I believe you, B. Brave. I really do. I believe that that's a thing. So I would be a little bit freaked out about it. I don't know that you should be scared about it, but yeah, it's a little bit freaky when that stuff happens. It happens to me too. Former LEO says, I thought that earlier on, it was believed that there were two more people involved. Any more on that? Not that I've seen former LEO. Just what we covered on the show is all I've seen. And, and you know, on these things, I, I tend to try to wait for the official court documents to come out before we jump into it, which is why we waited on this one. Yoda says, I'm thinking he, Brooks, knew he was going to prison for crimes already committed. So this Sunday drive was a last hurrah. Might as well take as many out of those as I hate as I can while I can. 
There was no earthly reason for him to crash through barricades, choosing to go down that parade route other than deliberate malice. No one was chasing him. He could have driven away from his last criminal encounter in any other direction if his objective was just getting away. It, as reported on November 2nd, he ran over his baby mama with the same vehicle. She had tire marks on her legs. I had to laugh at how it was reported, quote, he ran over her without consent. <laughs> you know, people get freaky. It, it, you know, it's 2021. You can be into whatever you want to. If you're into running over, you know, your significant other and they don't die and it's done with consent, who can complain about that? Okay, let's see what else we've got. We've got Be Brave says, I'm recoiling. I normally feel you should treat them as human. When it's obvious they're not, you're under no obligation. I'm just venting. You're, you're free to do that, Be Brave. I understand that completely. I totally get it. Uh, News Now says, the Wisconsin statute says bond can be denied in some cases. Supreme Court ruled that that is against their constitution a few years back. I found the case earlier when I got pissed at the DA for asking for a high bond. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So are you telling me, News Now, that you cannot hold anybody in bond? Uh, I'm sorry, without bond in Wisconsin? Anybody? Like they then the bond should have been $50 million, right? Something way higher than five. Uh, wild. I didn't know that. Jay, he says, due process is overrated, Rob. Just kidding. Have a great Thanksgiving, buddy. You do the same there, Jay, he. Thanks for being here. Speech says, who posted the $5 million bond for him? Who is that stupid? Oh, I mean crazy. Did somebody post it? Is he out? I didn't, I didn't see that he posted it, but I can't imagine that he does post it. C. Miller says also if he's, because listen, if he post if somebody posts that for him and this guy goes AWOL, that's a lot of money to be on the line. C. Miller says if he is indigent, indigent, is there anything at all that would secure a person's return for trial? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, some people, yeah, some people will just give you their word and they'll come back if you're indigent. Yeah, I'll come back to court. I can't afford a lawyer, but yes, I don't want to have my license suspended. I don't want a warrant for my arrest. I don't want you to charge me with another crime for failing to appear to a court proceeding. I don't want to you know, have this hanging over my head. So I'll just come back and come to court. Don't need a bond. Don't need any ankle monitor, nothing. In fact, that's most criminal defendants. But this guy, he's going to be going to prison forever. So if you release him, do you think, and he gets the opportunity to bail, do you think he's coming back? No. Of course not. Peely Wally says, hey, Rob, what a tragic case this is. And my thoughts are with all the injured and the families of the ones that sadly passed. The media, the president, and so many celebrities have this blood on their hands. The fake news that they put out that makes white people look racist and so on has everything to do with cases like this. It won't be the last terrible crime committed in the light of day because of the left and their disgusting attitudes to life these days. You know, when you villainize anybody, when you talk about people in subhuman terms, People treat people like subhumans. It's gross. Monster One says, definitely not terrorism, right? Absolutely disgusting how the media is treating this. If this dude would have been white and had an anti-black post, it would be a hate crime. The media is so disgusting in the matter CNN removed it from their front page. These scum are trying to hide it. I know. That's why we talked about it. C. Miller says, with his social media postings, do you think his charges get upgraded to hate crime? So... I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know what's, what Wisconsin does with, you know, hate crime uh, statutes, but I don't, I, you know, I can't imagine they have anything like that. Um, you know, typically those are, I think those are unconstitutional, largely. I, I don't know what Wisconsin does with, you know, hate crime legislation or if that's a thing there, but, uh, but no, I don't, you know, murder is, is murder as far as I'm concerned. Former LEO says, 
This is only the beginning. What does society expect when there are no standards to achieve? Was the DA an equity appointment? The DA was more than incompetent. That's from former LEO. A couple more before we jump over to YouTube. Monster One says, should be a death penalty case. I know some people get squeamish about it. I can understand the misgivings about a case that has sketchy evidence. This case, however, doesn't have sketchy evidence. It's cut and dried. Break out the gallows. That's from Monster One. I'm against the death penalty, but you know, I know a lot of you aren't. Be Brave says, uh, MSN, MSM has been lightening his skin. It's ridiculous. There's a knock on the door. That's a knock on the door. You don't answer. Yeah, I know that that was a very interesting scene. And so not applicable said earlier, BLM Christmas Rammer. Get the name out there so that you can uh, hashtag BLM Christmas Rammer. Llama Brad says it's impressive. Uh, I think we got that one. Yeah, we got that one earlier. Brian Bennett. Eddie Oliver says Charles Manson predicted a race war that he called Helter Skelter. I don't want to live in a world where his prophetic predictions seem to be coming true. Everything is about race now. Not good. Exclamation point. Not good at all. Eddie Oliver, another one says, did they leave it out or were you aware that the couple made him a sandwich while he was, quote, waiting on his Uber? I did not know that. Yeah, they must have clipped that out of there. Wild. John Paul says, Rob, former resident and business owner in Waukesha for 18 years. I'm sickened by the media coverage locally. Thank God for journalism in the UK. Why do they do that to their own communities? It's crazy. Thanks for telling us about that, John. We've got Eddie Oliver says, if you say those misogynistic and violent rap lyrics aim towards the lowest common denominator, you're called a racist. Some culture it's just not good. Uh, I agree with that, Eddie. I'm not a, definitely not a cultural relativist at all. I think those people are kind of wacky. Reginald Fluffington says, new to these kinds of videos, can you explain the multiple verdicts of felony murder on each person of the Aubrey killing? <laughs> that's a big ask there, Reginald. That's a big ask. That's like a that's like a six-hour video. Can you explain the multiple verdicts of felony murder on each person of the Aubrey killing? <laughs> it's It's like a full trial to explain it all. Uh, but they all got convicted of it. And so we we talked about that at the start of this uh, show. I, I think you joined us five minutes ago or late, but we went through it all. We talked a lot about it at the very early part of the entire stream. So just rewind it back to the beginning and you'll be able to see a lot of that. Alejandro Garcia says, I'm curious what it's like emotionally and mentally to defend people like this. Anyways, happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Keep up the good work. So you know, uh, honestly, candidly, I've never represented somebody like Daryl Brooks, you know, somebody who is um, alleged to have killed six people. You know, that's that this is the, the, these cases are in categories of their own. I mean, candidly, you know, our firm, we've been in business since 2014. We've handled thousands of cases. We've represented uh, really, really good people. And out of all of the thousands of cases that that our firm has handled, I've personally worked on thousands of cases because our, I was a lawyer before we started our law firm. I handled thousands of cases before we opened our doors here. And, you know, there's there's been a handful of people in the in the thousands of cases that I've gone to court on, a handful, like I could count probably on one hand, that were people that were in this ballpark of this guy, like in this ballpark. And even those people, there was something off, something wrong, right? Something, something broken about, about them. You didn't look into their eyes and see pure evil. You know, you saw, saw me, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I recognize I'm kind of a big softy and highly empathetic and I can sort of, you know, I can sort of, I try to see the best in people, 
but you can just see that something is is disconnected. You know, you'll you'll hear people, you'll hear fathers talk about what they did to their daughters. And they're explaining it in a way that is surreal. You can't you can't really explain it. It's a surreal experience because they're they're you know when you look into a person's eyeballs and you can kind of feel like you can see what's going on in their soul or connect with them on that deep level. And you can almost see the gears working and how things are moving in their brains. And you can kind of follow them through a conversation. You can match frequencies a little bit. You do this all every day, but you don't realize it. When you're talking with somebody in one of these positions, a father telling you or or communicating about what he did to his 14-year-old daughter, there's a diff, it's a different experience. It's like, you're not talking to a person there. It's kind of a, it's a weird, it's a surreal experience. And, uh, the first time that you go through that, it, it sort of changes you a little bit, but I think that it, for me, what it did for me is it, it helped me to realize that, that people are broken. You know, people are a lot, it, it's, it's very simple to just say good and evil. And that we can just say, this guy's an evil monster. He's an animal. We should just kill him and we should do whatever, you know, whatever. And he may be an evil monster. He may, he may be somebody who you know, he's done some allegedly some very awful things. But when you sit down with a person and you look them in the eyes, it's a different, you know, you reckon this is a human being and we don't know what his background's like. We don't know what his parents did to him. We don't know what life he had growing up. You know, we don't know what's going on here. And you could, you know, point to all sorts of different, different societal factors that really cause complex things to happen in a person's brain. And I'm not trying to excuse his behavior or anything like that. I'm just trying to communicate about these experiences. It's a, it's a strange thing. And, you know, defense attorneys, I adhere, I, I am such a believer in the presumption of innocence and due process and treating people like human beings. Because if we allow it to bend around the margins, if we allow the government, if we allow the prosecution, if we allow the judges, if we allow all the politicians to dump all over Daryl Brooks, or if we allow them to step over the constitutional lines with Galen Maxwell, because we look at these crimes that these people have committed and they're so reprehensible. They make our skin crawl. They make our stomach churn. But if we bend the margins, if we break the rules just a little bit for Daryl or for Galen, it doesn't stop there. It will not stop there. It never does. Look what they've done with COVID. So you have to hold the line. You have to always treat people like humans. You have to always fight for their presumption of innocence. Not necessarily the innocence, but the presumption of the innocence, right? Always got to go. The government has to prove their case. We've got to hold the line every which way we turn. And I know it makes people sick. I know when a, when a defense lawyer turns around and says, hang in there, buddy. We're going to go through this together. That's them being empathetic. That's them connecting with their client. How are they going to represent their client if they think he's a disgusting piece of scum? He's presumed innocent right there. Whether you like it or not, that's our system. It's a pretty damn good system. It's critical that we adhere to that. And so that's what's happening now. And it's it's so important that we do not allow the standards to be watered down. Because the, guess who's next? It's your son, it's your daughter, it's you. You get pulled over and a cop doesn't like what you said or you don't, doesn't like something and boom, you've got bad precedent that's established at the top. So I know it's a little uncomfortable. I know that it's uh, it feels icky, but 
It's critically important. Okay, Speech says, I'm curious, as a defense attorney, what would your initial, what would be your initial gut defense for Brooks? So I like, I like what I've been, you know, hearing about uh, sort of, you know, this excited state of pandemonium that he was fleeing a scene, didn't know what to do. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's a good case. You know, I think in, in these types of cases where it's so tragic and catastrophic, a lot of what you do as a defense lawyer is to, is to manage the the family managed the situation. It's like a little bomb went off in this ordeal. And so, you know, you, what you what you really want to do is make sure that your client's getting a fair shake, make sure that he understands everything, make sure that he's getting, you know, good conditions. He's not being abused. He's not being thrown into the bottom of a dumpster somewhere, you know, that he's not uh, like Kyle Rittenhouse, not showering for 20 whatever days. You know, that's sort of what you're doing if the evidence is as good as, as it sounds like it is. Now, if he could make a case that he was fleeing from, you know, somebody who's trying to murder him or something like that, Okay, you can you know give it a crack, but I don't think a jury's going to buy it. Uh, I watched some of the videos; I didn't play them here, but yeah, it looks like he's zigzagging all over the place. And cops are telling him to stop. If he was really fearful of somebody chasing him, well, there was cop number one. Oh, well, there was cop number two. So, what are his defenses? You know, temporary insanity, something like that. You know, I uh, I, I don't know what those constant statutes are. You know, mental. You know, so. A competency uh, challenge might be appropriate. Might This guy's nuts. He doesn't understand anything. He's actually insane. That's why he's been committing crimes all this time. Go get him evaluated by multiple psychiatrists. See what they have to say about it. If you can come up with a clinical diagnosis, you say he's insane. Now, he could probably be restored. And so, you know, that's not going to eliminate the criminal charges anyways. But, you know, cases like this where it's kind of black and white. Yikes. There's no gray area. Oh, I don't know that that's any better. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Monster one says president potato said he's not going to comment on this. Really, Brandon, you're going to condemn a 17 year old who defended himself. Yet you won't say anything about a black nationalist domestic terrorist. That was from monster one. A couple more before we wrap up and get out of here. Grouchy old cat lady says what? No liberal media blaming systemic racism for his behavior. And I was thinking maybe this was, um, it's because he's multiracially white. Oh, multiracial whiteness. Remember that concept? Speech Unleashed says, not even a memorial post about the victims on the local newspaper. How sad. It's really, it's really, that's their, that's their neighborhood. It's their community. They deliver the newspapers to the neighborhoods there. Former LEO says, what is the definition of domestic terrorists? Maybe A.G. Garland should take a look at black domestic terrorism. I think everything is domestic terrorism now, according to their standards. C. Miller says, page three in the local newspaper, the disrespect. Bruh, he's just trying to be famous. It's too soon for that. The Rug says, can someone tell these people to stop sweeping this crap under me? I'm starting to feel extra dirty. That's from The Rug. He's tired of being abused with all this being swept under it. The Last Villain says, that guy is lucky that he didn't get, didn't get taken hostage. Do you think the story will disappear like the black guy who killed the Capitol Police officer with a knife in April? I think he was talking about being a black Israelite too. I sort of remember that story. Was Did somebody actually die? Did somebody actually die in that? C. Rose says, Rob, I have to dispute what chairman of the board said. Standing with your client for not guilty verdicts include OJ, Zimmerman, Casey Anthony, Robert Durst. I think that evens the odds. Are there any circumstances where you would not represent a particular client? Don't feel compelled to disclose this. Yes or no will suffice. Um, 
so there's, you know, there's ethical reasons where you can't represent clients. Like if you have a conflict or if it's, um, you know, there's a really conflicts are sort of the only, uh, sexual relationships, you know, those things are big no-nos. So you gotta be careful with those. Um, but in terms of, you know, criminal charges, the answer is no. Now, you know, there are other attorneys here at our firm that, um, you know, have children and things like that. And so they wouldn't be ideal to put on a children's case, but, uh, we have other attorneys who, you know, don't have any of those issues. So, uh, and I personally do not, you know, I don't, I don't have kids and I, I don't have anything that really stands out like that. Uh, I've represented, uh, you know, pedophiles. I've represented sexual assaulters. I've represented, uh, never represent, I've never personally done a homicide case, but our firm has. So, you know, I've represented some pretty gruesome stuff. The, the, the stuff involving, you know, parents and underage kids or anything involving underage kids are, are the worst. Um, I've done some, I've, yeah, I've worked on some, uh, I've worked on some homicide case. That's not true. I've worked on some gang homicide cases, not a situation where it's like a one-on-one, you know, somebody murders somebody else. It's a gang involved death and worked on many of those drug related cases and things like that. So, um, but no, nothing really, nothing really unsettles me in that regard. You know, I, I sort of take it as a, as an opportunity to understand what happened in this person's mind and in this person's world and see if we can help. That's really what it comes down to. But certainly I understand how other people might not want to touch, you know, a case involving a three-year-old when they got to go home to their three-year-old. And I don't have any, I don't have any issues with that. Ghost Gunner says, glad they got this guy alive without shooting him with a rap sheet like him. We would have been, we would have riots for him being shot. Quintessential BLM. Thank you for pointing out the double standard. Most of us who watch you already know about it. The Charlottesville guy only killed one. This guy essentially hunted people down for being white, calling it a crash is beyond disingenuous. That was from Ghost Gunner in the house. Few more before we roll. We got chairman of the board says, Rob, this guy who hates white people and ran over a bunch of them at a parade is interesting at all, but enough already. Let's get into the wild turkeys raised by humans. Sounds like a wild story. I was going to cluck like a turkey, but I'm not going to do that here. I'll save you all. uh, I'll spare you all that. That was from chairman. Good to see you. We have... uh, Somebody asking, why haven't we made assault cars illegal yet? Background checks, high-speed large vehicles should be illegal. And I'm not even joking with you about this. I saw somebody who tweeted that. I'm not kidding you. I got to find, I got to see if I can find this. I saw somebody who tweeted this. I don't know if I bookmark it. If I, yep, I did. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Okay, so uh, Marina Medvin <clears throat> posted this over on Twitter and somebody named, named Shane Farrow is talking about this case, says this story yesterday absolutely set me off because instead of talking about how easy it is to take another person's life with a gas pedal, the lead of the New York Times was a story sifting through this guy's rap sheet like a navel-gazing true crime podcaster. Says, what if instead of asking whether a tiny bit more jail would have fixed this person, we ask whether fewer cars like SUVs in America would lead to fewer people being killed? We ask whether fewer cars in America would lead to fewer people being killed. Okay. Not the fact that this guy's been out on bond uh, or on bail that was erroneously done. Fewer cars is what she says. So we also see, says, I'm sorry, but the policy to keeping parades safe from cars is not jacking up bail. It is pedestrian safety and lower societal reliances on climate destroying death machines. Guns don't kill people. 
people kill people. Cars don't kill people. No, no, people don't kill people. Cars kill people is what she's saying. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. It's on Twitter. Nuts. All right, a couple other questions here. We've got uh, Jigam Gigam says, they're going to conduct an internal review on why Daryl was released on a $1,000 bond. That's just taking it too far. How about everybody just get a timeout? That's also fair. You know, that's going to be harsh. I think that a lot of prosecutors would be very upset about that. Kareem says, would you be non-bondable if you commit any offense, even as minor as a parking ticket, jaywalking, or getting on the back of a bus without paying the fare? Typically not. You know, those are petty offenses. And so um, even misdemeanors, you know, oftentimes or like a traffic ticket, those typically are not going to be enough. Uh, often, you know, the judge will say, all right, we got notice you broke the law. Let's have a hearing about it. And then you can talk to the prosecutors and come to a resolution. Former LEO says, Gascon, San Francisco, Escandem, the stupidest city elected him DA. Can you say Los Angeles? And they deserve it. LA's a dump. Monster One says, cross through barricades. At least he didn't cross state lines. That would have been a real problem if he had done that. CNN says, this was a deadly but mostly peaceful drive, Rob. Oh my gosh, the puns today. Grouchy old cat lady says, everyone can take a beating rather by fist or by car. Just ask Binger. Oh man, the zingers are coming in hot today. Jumping Jeff says, Rob, if Brooks skips bail, do you know what his bounty would be worth? Uh, well, so Wisconsin, I think you have to put the full amount up. So 5 million. I, th- I think that's what you're asking. I think that's what you're asking me. Tree Mendes says, I don't mind so much if the media downplays, quote, the incident. If they afford all suspects the same respect, burying the story is amazing to me. If the story is on the front page, most people are smart enough to realize this was more than an incident. But how many will be able to reach their own conclusion if the story gets buried? Have a great Thanksgiving. You too, Tremendous. You too. Enjoy it with your family. We have Radice says, I think they need to get him out of the suicide suit, not fix the cameras. Give the guards Benadryl and let... <laughs> Radice, you can't say that on here. You can't say that in here. That's not appropriate. Monster One says, can't commit a hate crime against white people. Doesn't everyone know this? I forgot about that. Yeah, they're basically... Uh, Nobody cares. Nadarb says, funny that with all the coverage of the Charlottesville trial, the media just ignored the fact that one of the main, quote, white nationalist dudes they made famous for being a Trump supporter, Richard Spencer, how he is now a huge Biden supporter and a big Trump hater and still a white nationalist or maybe a white communist or something now. LOL, legislation needs to be passed to put these multinational media corporations in check. It's good to see you, Nadarb. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. No question on that one. The last villain says 14. Joe Biden was one of your clients? <laughs> oh, no. She was younger than that uh, Well, on one of those. Monster One says, hey there, Rob. Not all monsters are evil. I resent your assertion. It's, it's, a, it's a fair point. Sorry about that. News Now says, hearing people like legal eagles say stuff like, Kyle wasn't found innocent. He was found not guilty by reasonable doubt. Boils my blood. If you are innocent until proven guilty, if you are found not guilty, you are still innocent. Did he say that? That guy is something else, man. I don't want to get into YouTube, law tube, lawyer drama, but uh, legal eagle is something else. No doubt. I'm gonna have to watch that three girl. No, I can't. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. Three girl. He says, so the guy, Daniel Ryder did make Daryl Brooks a sandwich. He also offered Brooks a coat. He had no idea that there was something that happened at the parade. Also didn't know that there was somebody 
the police were going to be looking for. Seems like a good-hearted man, a bit naive over a man showing up in his door asking for help. There's a good reason why he didn't know Brooks the way he did. Absolutely not. Yeah, look, look, I don't have any problems with that. Somebody comes to your door needing help, give him a coat and a sandwich. That's fine. No problems with that. PWS MKAZ says, William Roper. So now you give the devil the benefit of the law, Sir Thomas More. Yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil, William Roper. Yes, I'd cut down every law in England to do that, Sir Thomas More. Oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned around on you, where would you hide, Roper? The laws all being flat. The country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast. Man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Yes, I'd give the devil benefit of law for my own safety's sake. PWSMKAZ. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like I've read that before, but I don't know where that came from. Thunder7 says, I do think he's an evil monster, but I doubt he would have done what he did without the entire corrupt media, big tech, the O'Biden regime throwing hate on white people and blaming them for everything wrong in America. It probably emboldened him to kill as many white people thinking he would even get a gold statute in his name. Brooks is the end result of all the hate against white people. We have the last villain says Noah Green, 25, was shot after killing police officer William Billy Evans, 18 year veteran of the force and a member of the first responders unit. I don't remember if we talked about that. I remember there was an attack, but I don't remember somebody dying there. There were a couple attacks in the Capitol Hill police officers, but I think those were African-American people who were the defendants. So you're right. Didn't hear much about them. Perry Masonary says guns and cars kill people only when they are conservatives. Perry Masonary. Only when they're conservatives. C. Miller says, wait, this POC said he was homeless and he just got out of jail. He has an ID and he has an ID. That's from C. Miller. Couple more. Tremendous says something new to add to Binger's list. Did he have a gun? Did he have a knife? Was he driving an SUV? I'm pretty glad that we're done listening to that guy. Aren't you glad that we're done listening to him? Jumpin' Jeff says, so the bounty hunter will receive the full amount of the bail upon return. Well, so, so, so no. So what you're asking about is a, a, bail bonds company. So if you use a bail bonds company, then you make a deal with them and then they post the money up for you. So it's going to be whatever, whatever that, that, uh, whatever you work out with the bail company, essentially. So like, for example, if you, you know, put up a house or something like that, you have to talk to a bonds person about, about that. They're not going to get $5 million because that has to be held in, in trust with the court, but the bail bonds company they put that money up with the court and they don't want that money to go away. So they go to get you so that they can get that money or whatever collateral they're using back. Hopefully that makes sense. Jumping Jeff. We have chairman of the board says Ricada law did a live stream breaking down legal Eagles Rittenhouse video. Video was about 27 minutes. Took them over five hours to get through it because Ricada paused it every 10 seconds to complain about what he was saying. I refuse to watch his channel and give it any more views. That's hilarious. 27-minute video they got through in five hours. Oh, that's so funny. Nick Ricada is amazing. So uh, that's great. Maybe I'll watch that instead of his actual channel. All right. And that was over from watchingthewatchers.locals.com back over on YouTube. 
News Now says, I will do a video tonight showing the indictments versus the guilty verdicts to try to make it clear. Yeah, so check out News Now Wyoming. Going to go back through the Arbery stuff and sort of uh, you know connect them one-to-one. I would have loved to have done more on Arbery, but we were just so deep in Rittenhouse that it was uh, it was hard to do both. And Alejandro, we got that one earlier about working with these types of people. It is uh, it's 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 part of the practice of law. You know, it's 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 a practice, and so it's 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 different for everybody. I think Beth Coddington says. Tomorrow, I am disconnecting from this wretched world and thanking God for all my blessings, including my family, my friends, and all the like-minded folks like you and like you have to stay sane somehow. Happy Thanksgiving and love to all. Thank you, Robert. That's from Beth Coddington in the house. We love when Beth Coddington's here. And shout outs to Beth Coddington and all of our friends at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. Norm Kelly says, do you think English or linguistic purism would be good for the English language. English or linguist? I don't know what linguistic purism is. Would be good for the English language? I don't know what that means. I don't have problems with people talking differently. I like people talking, you know, differently. But there are some languages now that I think are sort of pseudo-English. It's very interesting also that's happening. And so Beth Coddington is uh, giving us our... Thank you for that, Norm Kelly. Beth Coddington giving us our final send-off. And she's saying that she's happy to be around with like-minded folks, which, of course, we have at watchingthewatchers.locals.com. We've got a monthly meetup that is taking place December 11th. So that's coming up in about two weeks or so. 7 to 8 p.m. It takes place on Zoom. We have a lot of fun with these. About, you know, 30 to 40 people, sometimes a little bit more than that, sometimes a little bit less. Sometimes it it people stick around for a full hour. Sometimes people stick around for three hours. Sometimes people stick around for five minutes. Cameras on, cameras off, doesn't matter. It's all about connection because that is important in this day and age. There's a lot of forces out there trying to divide people. We're trying to do the opposite of that. And it's going to be extra fun this month because on December 11th, it's going to be the ugly sweater edition of the monthly locals meet up. And so we want you to be wearing your ugly sweater, which means you have to think about this. You have to sort of make sure you have one before you show up. If you don't have one, you're still going to be allowed in the party. Probably, but get an ugly sweater. And that's taking place Saturday, December 11th. We also have happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there, including some new people who signed up at our community. Aldo the Apache, we've got Carrie C. Gino Scrija, we've got Rugger Bugger, Jay Markey, Cantney 79, Brody Son. We've got Squirrel Ono 50, P. Palin, Redbeard, Monique, Nicole, Dr. Facebook Law 101, Hobo Jim Mambino, W.V. Rider 68, Mayhem Studios. We've got Ben Tomlinson, Laurel 720. We've got Unsheath, Tecker Grab, Tommy Nukes, Phantasmagoria. we got Black Cat Meow, Nick McLeod, Dr. Brenton's in the house, T. Blakemore, Patriot Minute, Chris C. 123, Dr. Sammy D., Pub Crawl, Julie, Fluffles, Woods 08, Karaoke Princess, Not the Great, Coco Overton Transparency, Miss Sin Lynn, Desert Pirate, BJR, J-Bot, we got DC Jen, David Orndorff, Drew Johan, Nice T, Miles Breeden, Time Lord Stew, Tester 22T, OGR All, Coronas Adair. And that, my friends, is it for us for the day. We've got Thanksgiving tomorrow, which means we're going to be spending time with our friends and family, unplugging from politics, unplugging from trials for a day. And then we'll come back on Friday and do it all again. How's that sound? And so I want to wish everybody a tremendously happy Thanksgiving. I'm really grateful and thankful for all of you and for this community that we're building and for the time that we spend together every day. It really is very rewarding uh, for me. I mean, I learn a lot 
we we get to have really fun and funny conversations while we're diving into some pretty deep and and somber issues. And so I, I really appreciate you know everything that we have here. And I just want to thank everybody for being a part of it. Every time I, I show these screens and I say thank you to everybody on here for your support, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I'm having a ton of fun. I hope you are as well. And I hope you do get some time with your friends and your family and with some good food shovel it on in there. And so that my friends is it for me. Stay thankful, spend some love with your friends and family, and I'll see you right back here on Friday. Be well, my friends have a great evening. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.